Well, good morning. How are we doing? Welcome to Kensington. We're so glad that you guys are here. And it's December. Anyone else excited for Christmas? Okay, like maybe like five or six of you. That was very kind of lukewarm. I don't know about you, but as soon as that clock strikes 12.01, it's December 1st. I'm ready. Our house is excited. Um, I'm sure some of you guys are the same way. So we thought it would be fun first Sunday of December to just kind of get in that Christmas spirit. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand and we're going to sing a good old Christmas carol just with a little bit of a Kensington twist. So hopefully uh, we enjoy this this morning. Here we go.
Good morning, you guys. Yes, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. I love Christmas carols. Like Michael said, our house is um, full of Christmas spirit. As soon as it is December 1st, he wasn't lying. Yes, it is true. Um, And so we love Christmas in our house if you're anything like us. And I love Christmas carols. I'm so excited. Um, If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Amanda Farage, and I am the Kensington Kids Director. So I oversee our birth through fifth grade ministry. Um, But what I love about Christmas carols is just how they help us get into the Christmas spirit. And so in K-Kids, in elementary, I'm actually, soon as I'm done here, I'm getting ready to go lead us in some Christmas carols in our elementary program. So I'm really excited about that. But if today is your first Sunday, welcome. We are so excited to have you. And we would love to get to know you after the service today. We would love for you to stop by our starting point area in the back and say hello. We would love to meet you. And we also have a welcome gift for you. So make sure you stop by on your way out of service today. Um, But also at the starting point tent or area is our, all the information for our Christmas toy drive going on right now. So if you walked in, you might've seen a giant Christmas present back there. And that's a spot where you guys can drop off the toys that we've been collecting for our school partner. So we are actually partnered with Dillard Street Elementary School in downtown Winter Garden, helping families in need that may need some extra Christmas cheer this season. And so we're excited to be partnering with them. Um, And if you need more information on where to drop those toys off, if you don't have them with you today, feel free to go to our website and all that information is on there, but they also have flyers in the back. So make sure to take one of those. Um, One of the other things that's going on here at our church that I'm super looking forward to is if you're a lady, let me hear you. Um, Oh, that was like a sad whoop whoop. I think we need like one more. Ready? One, two, three. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. So um, not tomorrow, but next Monday we are having a women's Christmas party. And I am so looking forward to that, to spending time with you awesome ladies here. And so um, we also have information at our starting point area and on our website. But it's next Monday night from 7 to 9. We're having a little Christmas um, dessert and calendar exchange. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I would love to see you guys there. Um, But not only is that Christmas event going on, but we have Christmas Eve services here coming up. And so as you guys sat down, you probably had something in your seat, um, or maybe you're actually sitting on it, but you guys got a Christmas invitation card. And so those are for you guys to not only give you information about our Christmas Eve services, but if you already know that information, it's saved in your calendar on your phone, take that and invite a friend to our services um, coming up here in just a few weeks. But to get us into the Christmas spirit, let's go ahead and take a look at this. He said it's in the town of David. It shouldn't be much further. We need to keep following the star. It appears to have stopped over in that direction. Come this way. It'll be very quiet. Mary's very tired. You're hungry. The chili's been cooking all day. Did you bring the spices? I bring red pepper flakes, cayenne pepper, and cumin. We come bearing the gift of unleavened cornbread. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so did you put beans in it this time? I did. Okay. Good. Don't sit well. Oh, well. <laughs> We're gonna have to. We'll send you out. Oh, okay. You can, you can leave. Anybody have tum? <laughs> that did not go where you thought it would, did it? 
No, not at all. But that gives you a little bit of a glimpse into where we're going for Christmas Eve services. And, and just so you know, we go all out for Christmases around here. We kind of look like look at that as one of our Super Bowls. And um, that's a little bit of the theme of the day, just another day. Um, and so it's it, on the 23rd of December and the 24th, we have a 7 o'clock and then two services on the 24th. So the 23rd is 7 p.m. 24th is 3 and 5 p.m. And I just want to say this. We um, work super hard over the next three weeks. Our team is just killing it to get ready to redo this whole room, make it make it something very different than it is right now with a huge stage design, all in the way of saying we know there are people that are going to be here that don't really go to church ever, but they will come to church on Christmas, uh, on Christmas Eve because it's just something that a lot of people do culturally. So we want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with this invite is to not um, just put Put in your car and forget about it or, or throw it away on your way out. I want you to give this to somebody that you know doesn't go to church or hasn't been to church in a long time that might just come to church with you on Christmas Eve. Even if you're not going to be in here, people are likely to say yes to an invite, a personal invitation. And we know this. If you do the hard work of making the invitation, you're bold and you get them here, we will do our very best to, to have a service that will not only be fun and joy-filled, but it will also introduce them to Jesus Christ, which might just change their eternity. And so this invite is a big deal. I really am grateful. I'm really thankful for those of you that invite every year. Continue doing it. Um, God will give you some yeses in your life that you'll, you'll be surprised at who ends up here on Christmas Eve. Now, secondly, um, you have this booklet that you got when you walked in. Um, if you don't have one, uh, you can pick one up on the way out. But I'll just tell you, tell you what this is. Um, this is really a booklet that shows you where your year-end Christmas gifts and your financial giving goes to when you give to Kensington. And it's one of those things, as I was looking through it, um, it's incredible what we're able to do through the generosity of the people that call Kensington home. And I just want to say this. We are in the time of year where I know many of you are trying to decide what you're going to do with your year-end giving because there's some things you would like to give. And I just would like to ask you, would you please consider us in that, in that list of places that you want to give to, would you consider giving to Kensington? And I'll just, I'll just tell you this. It's one of those things when you give to us, you're giving to the mission, the vision, the values, you're giving to the things that are in this book. It's what allows us to put on services every week and do Christmas services like we do and, and help over in, uh, with, with Dillard Elementary School and help in East Winter Garden and lift disability. It's a part of the mission that we're, that we're on. And I know Melissa and I, we're going to be sitting down here in the next couple of weeks and going, okay, what do we want to do? What is God saying to us about how to be generous at the end of the year? So thank you for that in advance. And I want you to just take, feel free to look through this and just see all the stuff that we're involved in here at Kensington. All right, we are at our point in the service where we want to do what we call the Kensington Crunch. There are still people walking in the back doors. So I want to invite you to stand up, say hello to some people around you, squeeze into the middle, crunch into the middle, and move forward, and we'll make room for them coming in right now. So let's go ahead and stand up and say hello. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go Laughing all the way Bells on bobtail ring Making spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing A sleighing song tonight Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride Oh, the weather outside is 
his rifle, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping, and I've brought me some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. And the fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, and snow. Finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really grab me tight All the way home I'll be warm Oh, the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Dreams of all we are 
guys killed it. Can we give these guys a hand? That was so fun, man. Wow. Well, well, just so you know, that was actually our, one of our Christmas opening songs in 2009. That was actually where the whole theme was kind of themed with the rocket and the, and the, and the wise men. Um, but really, the way we're using it today is just saying, you watch those kids. They were chasing really the happiness of Christmas. That really was what the rocket was for. And they were playing in all of that white stuff that was falling from the sky. It's called snow to the rest of the country. Um, to us, it's called <laughs> You have to wear jacks, you're freezing your butt off. That's what we call that white stuff. But it's one of those things where they were playing together, experiencing the happiness and the joy of Christmas, chasing after what they were searching for, hoping that it would bring the joy that they believed that it would. And we as adults do the same thing. We chase after all the time the things um, that, that are, seem elusive, but, but one purchase away or the gift during the Christmas season, especially, that will make our dreams come true. We chase after the things that we think Christmas is all about, that we think we need to experience to have a happy Christmas. A lot of us are really chasing happiness. And then we get our hands on it, and it slips through our grasp, and we go chasing after it again. Well, today we're starting a new series. It's called The Heart of Christmas, and we're going to be looking at three words that are at the heart of Christmas. And I want to talk about why they're at the heart of Christmas. They are joy, peace, and love. Today is all about joy. Joy is... Typically, it's a word that we often confuse with happiness, and I want to talk about the difference between joy and happiness. And one of the reasons I want to talk about that is because we live right next door to one of the... Yeah, the happiest places on earth. We really do. We live next door to the happiest place on earth, and I'll just tell you, it is one of the happiest places on earth, isn't it? 
except for some of you that work there. But the rest of us, it's really the happiest place on earth. And I'll just tell you my first memory of Disney. I'm in my first or second year, I think it was my second year of college, and my aunt actually worked at Epcot for GM back when GM and Epcot were really tied closely. This is early 90s. And um, we, my brother and I, we grew up in this little place called Groves, Texas, a town of about 10,000 people. And, uh, you know, it's like we were, we were deep south Texas boys, and, um, and we get invited out to Disney. So we make the drive down I-10. You're on I-10 forever to get there from where we lived in Texas. And we get here, and uh, my aunt gives us, um, uh, they give, she gives us park hopper passes for the next day. So we can go to any park anytime we want, which is incredible. And then she gives us another stack of cards. And these other stack of cards, it says on the top, VIP passes. And I'm just like, I've never been to Disney. I don't really know Disney that well. All I know is it's the happiest place on earth, right? Um, and so, so I, I, I go, well, what are these? And she says, just go wherever the picture is and do what it tells you on the back. And I'm like, okay, stick them in my pocket. Away we go. So the first park we get to, we get to the Magic Kingdom. And it is like we're in awe of the Magic Kingdom. And so we decide after we're there for a little while with our, you know, pick our jaws off the ground. And, uh, you know, we, we were just, we were bummed they wouldn't let us bring our shotguns in. So we were kind of like, all right, this, I don't know if we like this place, but it's okay. So we get in and we look at the card about middle of the thing and says, well, let's, let's try Space Mountain. We go to Space Mountain, turn the card over. And I don't know if they still do this. This is early 90s. Um, I, we turn the card over and the card says, says, go past the line to the right, past four bushes, down a pathway, past four bushes, turn left and ring the buzzer. Okay, I don't know what else to do. I'm like, well, let's just do what it says. So we literally go to Space Mountain. We walk past the right side of the line. There's a little pathway that you really can't see unless you're looking for it. We go past one, two, three, four. We turn left. There is a door built into the side of the building that you cannot see unless you're standing right in front of it. It was absolutely awesome. And so we're like, ring the buzzer. So there's a little button next to the door. So we're like, eh. All of a sudden, a voice that probably came out of a sunflower somewhere said, please show your card. And we're like, there's a little camera over the door. Pull the card, hold it like that. She says, come on in. Buzz at the door. We walk in, and we are like walking into Narnia. I don't know if you saw that movie, but we're just like, we're walking in. We're like, we don't know what we're getting into, but we go in this secret door behind the bushes, right? So we go in, and when we walk in, it is unbelievable. This is a hot summer day. It is ice cold in there. There's air conditioning going on. We walk in to our left, your right, over here. There is a fountain machine, of, a fountain drink machine. So it's got everything, Coke, Sprite, you name it. It was in this machine. Next to that is a bunch of snacks. Next to that is a bunch of fruit. And while we're staring at that, because we're in Narnia, right? Right? To our right, this lady sitting behind a desk says, says, welcome to Space Mountain. And we're like, well, well, how do you do, ma'am? You know, we're from Texas. And so she's, we're like, I didn't know she was there. So she goes, she goes, welcome. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Get as many drinks as you want and cool down. And then when you're ready, let me know. And so we're like, okay, that sounds good. We don't know what we're ready for after we cool down and drink and eat. But we're ready. So we do that for about 10, 15 minutes, cool down. And we go to her and we say, we're ready. She says, follow me. So we follow her through this labyrinth of hallways and who knows where we're through doors and everything. All of a sudden, I know, I, we, we open up this door. We are at the part of the ride where you get on the ride. Somehow from some other part of the wall, we walk into where they're loading the ride. And she goes and she takes the two people about to get in the front, pushes them to the side and puts us on the front of the car. And away we go. And we're just like... We are like kings all of a sudden. We're like a couple of Texas boys, and we're like, we are royalty. We own Disney right now. We had like 15 of those cards. Every ride had this VIP little thing, and you follow the instructions, and you go to this air-conditioned lounge. We're fat. We're dumb. We're happy. We were dumb anyways, but we're dumb and happy. We've got it all. We're having a blast. It was literally, at the end of the day, it was one of the happiest days of our lives, okay? Where the young, it was the happiest place on earth. And I talk to people now. Not everybody even knows if that still exists. It's really interesting. 
thing. I talked to some people that have worked at Disney for a long time. They, like, they, say, they will say, I've never heard of that before. And other people will say, oh, yeah, we know all about that. It's really interesting how that works. But we were VIPs for a day. We were Disney royalty for a day, and it was the happiest day of our lives. Well, here is the problem with having a happy day like that. Um, at the end of the day, we had to leave the happiest place on earth. And we had to take our shotguns and go home to Texas. Like we had to go back. The day actually ended. Which gets me to the blessing and the curse of happiness. See, the blessing of happiness is that when you're happy, you are on top of the world. When you're happy... The emotion that you have inside of you, there is nothing like it. Your brain actually secretes a ton of chemicals, cannabinoids, dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins, GABA, serotonin, and adrenaline. They're all connected to giving us this sense of happiness. When those chemicals flood your brain, it is a mountaintop experience, some of the most mountaintop experiences that we can have as human beings. And it feels great, doesn't it? Like, when you're in a mountaintop experience, it's a great experience. Well, here's the curse of happiness. It's temporary. It's just temporary. You can have the mountaintop, and the mountaintop's great, but at some point, you have to come down off the mountain because your brain runs out of the supply of chemicals that gave you the feeling. But it's such a great feeling that many of us will do anything we can to get back to the mountaintop. doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. If the choice gives us what we believe we'll get in that dose of happiness, we will make it more often than not. We'll compromise our values for a dose of happiness for the things that we think will make us happy. We will go into debt to buy the things that promise happiness. We are even willing to leave decades of marriage and and building a family in pursuit of a person that we believe will give us that sense of happiness that is so fleeting in our lives. I would say as a society, we are consumed with happy what you find is because we're human and humanity has always been very similar no matter what's going on in the culture you can go all the way back to the fourth century bc some of the greatest minds of the day aristotle this is what he wrote about it about happiness he said happiness is the meaning and purpose of life the whole aim and end of human existence how about that in case you're wondering if we've changed and we've evolved and we're, we're like smarter now we're different than they were then Epicurus, 4th century B.C. philosopher, we must exercise ourselves in the things which bring happiness since if that be present, now get this, if that be present, we have everything. If you're happy, you have everything. And if that be absent, all our actions are directed toward attaining it. Is that not a description of the way we often live our lives? Well, here's the problem with happiness as a goal. Here's the problem if you live according to 4th century B.C. philosophers and according to the culture of today. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is a feeling. It's an inner condition that is dependent on external circumstances. Happiness is a feeling that is dependent on external circumstances. Happiness almost always comes from my external circumstances being arranged in such a way that they produce this inner condition and feeling of happiness. But here's the hard truth about happiness. We all know it. We don't want to believe it, but it's true. Our lives never get to the point where they are where we want them to be, right? 
Anybody have every single thing in every area of your life going just like you want it? Anybody got that right now? All I know in my life and in most people's lives is that there's a number of things that could be going well, but there's always that one or two, three pesky little place that brings us down from the mountaintop of happiness, and it has just the perfect timing, doesn't it? We build our life outside in. We build our life around our sense of happiness being based on the external circumstances that we pursue and find ourselves in. We will never find long-lasting true happiness. And just in case you think that it's out there and you can attain it, you just haven't done enough stuff yet or you haven't made enough or you haven't gotten enough stuff, I want to point you in uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Because it tells the story of a man that became obsessed with happiness, as many of us are. And I'm just going to speak for us, as many of us are. He was obsessed with happiness. His name was King Solomon. He was King David's son. So David killed Goliath, became king of Israel. When he died, his son Solomon took over. And Solomon, what's unique about him is God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, he came to him in a dream and said, Solomon, whatever you ask for, I will give you. I want to bless you. Whatever you want, I will give you. And so Solomon... um, very, very smart guy to begin with. He actually says to God, well, then give me wisdom so that I can rule this kingdom well because I don't know what I'm doing. He's kind of like, I don't know what I don't know. So can you give me wisdom so I can know what I don't know so I can lead this, this country well and uh, this people well. And so God says to him, Solomon, that's a great um, answer. Not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for, which is, which is power, prestige, wealth, riches, wisdom, um, uh, fame. You're going to be known throughout the world as one of the richest kings that ever lived. So Solomon, with all of his wisdom, lives his life, and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of the things he does in Ecclesiastes is he does what most of us probably would do if we had it all. If you had everything, if you had access to everything, you had no limitations on your actions, you had no limitations on getting the things that you want, you and I would probably go out and try a little bit of everything because we could. Solomon does that. He goes on a quest to pursue happiness and take advantage of all that life has to offer. He does all the things that we would try if we had no limitations on our money, our time, and our resources. He travels to the end of the rainbow. And then he writes about it. His pursuit of happiness, he documents, he gives us an exhaustive list of what he did. Ecclesiastes 2, 3, in his pursuit of happiness, he says, The first thing I did, he said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So what does he say? He said, I tried partying and drinking and doing stupid stuff, okay? Anybody try that when you're young? Want to experience happiness? Yeah. Yeah, you, you drink, you party, and you do stupid things. And then you go, hey, this is really fun. And then at some point you go, well, that's not that fun. Uh, but it's, so that's what part Solomon did. Solomon did what we would do. Verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. He said, I indulged in building huge estates, owning, owning uh, palaces and wine country just for myself. Verse 5, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. He's saying, I took on humanitarian projects and improved the city that I ruled over. I made green spaces and I created beauty all around me. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He's saying, look, at first I worked my butt off and I built all these things. And now what he's doing is he's trying to make his life as easy as possible. Does that 
that sound like our life a little bit? You work your butt off just so you can retire and do nothing? That Solomon says, I did it. I made it so in my life, my life was as easy as possible. I had people to do everything for me. I became a rancher is one of the things that he says. And I don't know if any of you want to do that for happiness. And I'll just tell you, step in one, cow patty. Ranching is not happiness. I'm just telling you. Um, I speak from experience growing up in Texas. Verse 8. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. And what's he saying? I devoted myself to being rich. Richer than any other king in history. I started a record label. I signed the best artist. That's what he's saying. I surrounded myself with the beauty of music. He had over 700 concubines and wives, in case you think that's the answer to happiness. Um, Verse 9, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. He's saying, look, I amassed power. I became more famous than any other person in the world. And I still didn't lose my mind from it. I still had the ability to reason through this. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Now, this doesn't need explanation, okay? That one doesn't need explanation. He did it all. He did it all. Think about what it could be. He did it. He became consumed with happiness. He took it to an extreme that you and I can only dream about. Trying to grab on to the elusiveness of happiness, and he gave up years of his life pursuing it. Years of his life pursuing it. And here's the conclusion in verse 11. He says, yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And you can read that and go, how depressing. It's like, golly, he did all the stuff that I think is going to bring it. And he's going, it's it's meaningless. At the end of his pursuit of happiness, years of striving for the next thing that would bring that mountaintop experience to set up his external circumstances in such a way that he could have that internal feeling of happiness, he gets down to verse 17, and it's astounding what happens to him. By verse 17, just a few verses later, this is what he says, So I hated life. So I hated life. Now think about it. This guy had it all. This guy had more than you and I could ever dream about and did it all. All the things that we think are going to bring what we so desire. And at the end of it, he says, I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. It's all meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And I will just say this. You can take any one of our lists of things that we think will make us happy that we're chasing after in our life right now and Solomon did it. Got it. Achieved it better than we would. And the question is, did it work? Solomon did it work. Did a bigger house bring happiness? No. Did a better car bring happiness? Faster camel? Bring, bring, you know, bring happiness? No. Higher paying job? No. More women? No. Bigger family? No. 401k to last the rest of your life? No. Surrounding yourself with beauty? No. Beach house? No. Lake house? No. Dream job? No. Traveling the world? No. Ruth Chris Steakhouse? No. Thousand children? No. Self-explanatory? Power? No. Fam fame? No. Best college to go to? No. Straight A's? No. A hole in one? A number 13 at Orange County National? No. None of that brings the happiness that we're longing for. Nothing he did to set up his external circumstances to bring happiness into his life delivered long-term happiness to the point where he said, I hated my life. 
just in case you're wondering if joy can be purchased. Just in case you're wondering if this Christmas and you get the right gift will bring you joy. Just in case that house project that you're struggling to, to finish, when you finish it, you will, have, you will have happiness. Just in case you think that fame, power, prestige, anything that you're searching after and going after right now that brings the promise with it of giving you that everlasting sense of happiness, he's just saying, it led me to hate my life. And then he gets to this conclusion. I know, this is super uplifting, right? <laughs> I'm just thought I'd bring this Christmas cheer, yay. All right, so here's Solomon's conclusion. At the end of his search for happiness, he finds out where the well of joy is that never ends. In verse 13 of chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes, he says the last and final word is this. Fear God. Do what he tells you, and that's it. I love, like, I love Solomon. He's, he's wise. He can break stuff down into like bite-sized, understandable things. Fear God. Do what he tells you. And that's it. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it accordingly, according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. And I'll just tell you what fear God means is no God. Be in relationship with him. Worship him as the only God. Understand he who is the creator and then live life the way, way he tells you to. In the end, Solomon says, I went there and I did that. Whatever you're there and that is, I went there and I did that. And I hated my life. So where does Solomon send us by the end? Back to God. He says, I walked away from God and I tried it all. At the end, I hated where my life was at, so what did I do? I went back to God, and that's where you need to go as well. At the end of his search of all of his wisdom, at the end of the rainbow, he sends us back to God. What will bring you what you're looking for? It's knowing God and living your life his way. How does knowing God make any difference? How does being connected to God result in happiness and impact our happiness? Well, first of all, it's some things that you need to know about God. And I don't, many of you, you don't think of God this way, but I'll just say it. God is one of the most joy-filled beings in the universe. God is one of the most joy-filled, happy beings in the universe. Most of us don't think about God this way, but let me just tell you, God created laughter. Smile. Let me everybody smile in here. Just smile. It'll make you feel better just for a second. Okay, smile. Everybody smile. You know God gave you the ability to express happiness on your face? He gave you the ability to express what's in your heart when it's there and gave you the ability to smile. He created the chemicals that create the feeling of happiness. If God were to text you how he was feeling in an emoji, I think he would text you this. This is what he would text you. If he were to text you, he would give you this. And if he didn't give you that, he might even be more happy than that. He would give you this. And I always look at it as little blue arms stabbing the guy in the eyes. Okay, that's what's going on. I can take any emoji and turn it on his head. Or maybe it's just ice crystals that someone jammed in there and he's just crying because of it. Or maybe it's this one. Maybe this, this is what God would text you. He would just give you a thumbs up, big smile, big wide eyes. That is at the heart of God. God is the most happy, most joy-filled being in the universe. But most of us don't see God that way. Most of us see God a little bit more like this. This is what he would text you. If he was texting me anything, that'd be God. Or it wouldn't, it's not that one. It would be this one. He'd be texting you that. He'd just be curmudgeon. He'd be sitting there going like this, and the world's horrible, and the world's evil, and they don't ever listen to me, and they don't do anything that I tell them to do. Or it would be this one. God is always accusing and yelling, and that's what he would text to you. Every time you did something wrong, it would be, bing, oh. God again, doing his God thing. 
That's not what we find in scriptures. When you go to the Bible over and over and over, this word joy comes out as being at the heart of who God is. This word joy is being at the heart of, of what God wants you and I to have. It's at the core of his being. He is joy filled. If you could see God's face right now, it would be smiling at you. So I want to contrast joy and happiness because they're two different things. Happiness is outside in. It's a feeling dependent on circumstances. That's what happiness is. It is solely dependent on our external circumstances. Joy is different. It's inside out. Joy is inside out a choice. It's a choice despite our circumstances. Joy is a choice despite our circumstances. Shauna Nyquist, she's an author and a blogger, and she wrote this. She said, listen, sometimes joy is easy. It's a wellspring of its own. And sometimes you have to work for it. You have to pray and walk and tell the truth and get outside and write and love your people and read good books and work hard and hold on to hope. And then there it is again. Joy shows back up. It's worth every step of it. See, where happiness is a feeling that we chase after, joy is a choice that we must choose to have it. If you're going to have joy, it's a choice at times. Sometimes joy is easy. Other times it's a choice. Other times we have to work to make that choice. And whether it's easy or hard, in Scripture, there's this concept in Scripture that the joy of the Lord, God's joy, the heart of joy that is at the core of who God is, there is this concept in Scripture that you can have that. There's this concept in Scripture that you can actually have God's joy inside of you, and if His joy is inside of you, it creates something that many of us are looking for and don't have. And I want to bring that up through a verse in Nehemiah. He was a leader. He was a he was a leader over the the people of Israel at the time. He was one of the prophets, and he goes in and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they had been knocked down. In Jerusalem, had been ransacked. Nehemiah goes back and they rebuild the walls. And after they're done rebuilding the walls, he writes, he says to them, in Nehemiah 8, verse 10, Nehemiah continues, he said, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now just hit the pause button there. The joy of who is our strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength, meaning there is joy inherent in God. And if we will pursue him and connect to him, it can become inherent in us. And what does it become when it becomes inherent in us? It becomes a source of strength because it's inside out. God's joy in us is not connected to any external circumstance. It's actually his joy implanted in our hearts. It is a choice we can make to tap into to have joy no matter what our circumstances. So the question is, how many of you are experiencing that joy right now? How many of you are experiencing God's joy deep inside of your heart right this moment? That's what he wants you to experience this whole month of December and actually the rest of your life. See, it's interesting, when I was in high school, um, 
I grew up going to church, and we went to all kinds of churches. We went to Bible thumper churches. We went to churches that told you you're, you're a sinner, and you're going to hell, and nothing's ever going to change that. You need to repent. And I got saved like 20 times before I was like 15, because every time they'd come in and say, if you sin once, you're going to go to hell. And I'm like, I sin. I need to go forward, and I'd accept Jesus. Uh, that's just how I grew up. So I grew up with this angry God, this God that tells you that you're always bad. And then I, we would go to other churches, and they would speak a different message, a message of prosperity gospel, and, and God wants to make you rich, and God wants to give you everything. Thing. We went all over the place, and I didn't know what to think of God or Christians as I was growing up, other than I knew Jesus, and I knew he loved me, and it wasn't until I got to high school that I met two guys in high school that were two of the funnest people I've ever met. I know that's not great grammar. They were two of the funnest people I had ever met up to that point, point. and as I got to know them, I found out where their fun came from. They were two Christian teenage boys that were into my, in my high school, and they were literally two of the first real authentic Christ followers I had ever met and gotten to know. Other than my family, but family doesn't count, right? And these two guys are 15, 16 years old. Brian Johnson, Kenneth Conkle became some of my best friends because I couldn't believe how they had the joy in them that had been so elusive in my life. And it wasn't because their lives were all great as I got to know them. One of them came from a broken home. The other one had an estranged relationship with his dad. But they just had this joy in them that made them fun, made them exciting to be around. And you know what? Everyone else, they were Christians, but that people loved them as Christians in a public setting. First time I had ever seen Christians experience joy no matter what their circumstances were. They invited me to church for a year. And I finally said I would go because they were so relentless and I wanted them to shut up. Because I had been going on and off every now and then, but I finally went with them to this place and I started realizing where their joy came from. They were connected from a heart level. They had a cord going from their heart to the heart of God. They just had this joy in them that he gave them. They had a strength in them that didn't matter what happened in their lives and the circumstances of their lives. They found joy in God, and that joy gave them strength. So how does that work for you and me? How do we be followers of Jesus like that? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, how do you tap into the joy that only God gives? That's where this idea of joy connects to the heart of Christmas. You see, joy has a face. When you go to Scripture, joy has a face, and that face is Jesus. All the joy of God is wrapped up in Jesus, the internal sense of well-being and contentment that's so deep, no matter what the external circumstances are, you find that in the face, the relationship with Jesus, the only place we're ever going to find internal joy, the only place our joy will ever be complete, fully complete, is in a relationship with God through Jesus. It's connecting and having transplanted into us the joy of God. That's why the heart of Christmas is centered around the birth of this baby, Jesus. God in the flesh who came here to give up his life to show us how loved we are. To show us how important we are to him. See, Solomon pursues happiness and hates his life and points us back to God. And when you go to God, you find the joy of God. When you look at the joy of God and you look to God for joy, God points to Jesus. When you look to Jesus, 
joy has a face. So if you're wondering how to get it, there's no place else to look than him. And this is what he says to us, and this is just absolutely astounding. John 15, 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, if you're connected to me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Disconnected from me, the fruit of your life will be fleeting at best. And then you go down to a few more verses and Jesus says this, and I do not want you, I don't, put it this way, just tune in for like, if you walk away with nothing else, give me the next two minutes. Jesus says this, I've told you this, I've told you these things, I've told you all the things I've told you about God and who you are and who I am, so that my joy, Jesus talking, my joy, God in the flesh, my joy may be where? In you. Jesus is saying, I've told you this so that my joy, my overwhelm, my, my, over, my overflowing well of joy may be in you, and then he says a little bit more, and that your joy may be complete. This is what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying two things. One, he's like, I have a never-ending supply of joy, and I want to put that in you so that you never have to live another day without my joy in you. And he also says, just so you know, when my joy is in you, your joy becomes complete, meaning this, you don't have to keep searching for it. You don't have to keep buying happiness for a mountaintop experience. You have it. It's complete. Your joy becomes complete. See, God designed us to only be complete when we're connected to Jesus. And Jesus says, when I put my joy in you, your joy becomes absolutely full. So I want to invite the band out. You guys can go ahead and come on out. And I want to just, I want to close with this. Had a month ago, um, I'd had about three or four weeks where I was just down. And I don't, I don't get down a ton every now and then, but it was like four solid weeks where I was just discouraged. I was depressed. Things in my external uh, circumstances weren't going like I wanted them to. There was stuff going on with the kids and stuff going on with, 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 uh, with the church. And there's stuff going on with other parts of my life that I just like everywhere I looked, things weren't going like I wanted them to, do, to go. And they weren't like the bottom wasn't falling out, but they weren't, there weren't the mountaintop experiences. And it just was like a four-week journey just down, down, down to where I felt like every morning I had to wake up and pick myself up off the ground. I just remember praying one morning. I'm like, God, I don't even know what to do with this. I don't even know where to go because just the, the, the sense of, of being overwhelmed and the sense of things not going like I want them to in my life just felt like it was kind of cascading over anything else in my life. That's all I could see were things that I wanted to change. And as I'm praying, I'm going, God, I need your help. He gave me this Nehemiah 8 passage. It was, it was incredible. All I heard was the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength over and over and over. And it hit me what I was lacking. Joy. I had lost joy. I didn't have joy. And everywhere I turned to find it, there was none. To the point where I did what those of us who know Jesus can do. I got on my knees and I just said, God, I need your joy. 
I am powerless right now to do anything about the circumstances of my life. In fact, I had gotten to the point where I was seeing them as, as half empty instead of half full. So everything just seemed bad. And my prayer was, I just need your joy. I just need the joy of the Lord. I need the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. I don't even know what that means, but that's what I need. I know that's what I need. So would you give that to me? Would you give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me? And I prayed it every day. And I'm just telling you, it was really, uh, it was just the answer to that prayer, because God answered it, was just life-changing for me to where I pray that every day. I just want the joy of the Lord. Why? Because it gives me strength that I don't have on my own. It gives me strength to power through circumstances that aren't going my way. It gives me strength to, 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 to muster up the courage to step into difficult situations, knowing that my source of power is the joy that God has given to me from his heart to me. It has changed my outlook in a, in a month. It's just I'm, I'm, I look back and I'm like, how did I get there? It's because somehow I unplugged from the joy of the Lord. And I started to look at my external circumstances and and go outside in rather than inside out. And so I just want to say this to you. If you are here and you're struggling with joy and you know God, maybe at some point over the last week, months, years, you've unplugged. And you need to plug back in. Because you're powerless without his joy. All you can see is your circumstances. And so maybe this morning is a reminder for you to plug back in to the heart of God to the heart of Jesus. And for those of you, some of you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're going, I don't really even know what this is, what this means, and you're on this journey. I'm just telling you, maybe for the first time, you're going, wow, all the things I've tried to do in my life to pursue happiness and have those mountaintop experiences, I know where they end and I've all, I think I've always kind of known that. But all of a sudden, I'm realizing that there's another way and that is Jesus. Joy has a face. You know, you can accept Jesus right now. This could be your day where you invite him into your life. And he can give you his joy and your joy can begin the process of becoming complete because you have salvation, because you're not afraid of death anymore, because you know where you're going to be when you take your last breath here. You know where you're going to take your next breath. There is a joy that comes in that that is indescribable. So I want to pray for us before we end our service and I want to just go to God, the giver of joy, and I want to ask God to give us the joy of the Lord. And that's a little churchy kind of for our church, but that's the way scripture says it, and that's the way I want to say it. So let's pray. Jesus, Lord, there are many of us in here, and right now we need the joy of the Lord. We need you to transplant your joy into our hearts like only you can do. God, you're the only one that can do heart surgery like that, that impacts us down to a soul level. And I pray, Lord, for those of us in here that know you and have disconnected from you as the source of our joy and we've connected into our external circumstances and relationships and accomplishments and our bank accounts and whatever else we're trying to get that joy and happiness from, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to unplug from those things and plug back into you so that the joy of the Lord can be our strength. And Lord, for those in here that don't know you and are on the journey to finding you, Lord, may today be the day that they invite you into their life to be their Lord and Savior. And they begin to fill up with joy for the first time. In your holy name, amen. Now, how we're going to end is is we're going to sing a couple of songs. And before we do that, we're going to go ahead and receive our offering. And you guys can go ahead and start that. But I want to talk about that for a minute because there's a connection between joy and generosity. 
And it's this. When you live like this, when you're trying to hold on to your happiness and your stuff and your things, you can't be filled with anything. You can't be filled with joy. You can't be filled with, with anything other than holding on to what you have. But when you live like this, God fills you with joy. There's a, there's a connection between joy and generosity. And so this moment is a joy-filled moment where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And for those of you that are new, it's okay to let the basket go by. This is your first time here. We're not interested in your money, but this is a worship moment, a response moment to our Lord and our God. And along with that, we want to praise him. And so I'm going to turn it over to Michael, and we're going to spend a few minutes just praising the God of joy that wants to give us his joy in our hearts. So we're going to um, sing a song here called Touch the Sky. And really at its heart, it's a song about surrender. And uh, I love this song for a couple of reasons. And one is just the imagery of it. And there's a line in it that says, I touch the sky so that my knees, or excuse me, I, I touch the sky when my knees hit the ground. And uh, I think so often we've just kind of, you know, from the time we're kids and, and we grow up and we're always trying to obtain things and, and reach for things and get somewhere and earn something or, or a promotion or whatever. And I think for, for a lot of us and for most of us, um, it always seems like we're, we're trying to reach something up here. And this song, it's kind of flipping that upside down and it's saying it's not here, but it's here. It's when we go to the Father and we surrender and we go to our knees that we reach the sky, that we touch the sky. And, and the truth um, that it's talked about in scripture and that's real and that's is that when we do that that's where we find joy that's where we find peace that's where we find truth that's where we find um and not just temporary joy and not just temporary peace but just everlasting peace it's just when we let it go and we surrender those things to him um we more often than not find what we're looking for so that's what this song is really speaking to and so i just um casey's going to sing it here in a minute and i just pray that these words kind of just wash over you um, and that you receive this song and uh, whatever that may mean for you. And then we're going to close with a song we'll stand and sing together and kind of celebrate a little bit. But we're going to just receive this song over the next few minutes. So just, uh, yeah, here we go. What fortune lies beyond the stars Dazzling heights too fast to climb I got so high too far so far But I found heaven as love swept Oh 
Amen. Well, we're going to invite you guys to stand, and we're going to sing a song that we've done a couple times. I'm sure you recognize. It's called Unstoppable God, and it's just speaking to the truth that when we do surrender, that he fulfills his promises, that he overcomes, he breaks through walls, and uh, he's got a pretty good track record with that. So we're just going to celebrate that together this morning for a few minutes, and uh, yeah. All right, here we go. together that nothing is impossible that he overcomes that we'll shout his praise and we'll declare it together so here we go nothing shall be impossible your kingdom reigns unstoppable we'll shout your praise forevermore Jesus our God unstoppable nothing shall be Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be
a great way to finish our day. And you know, I just had a thought while I was over there. You know what's interesting about what happened to me a month ago when I started asking God to reconnect me with his joy? You know what I noticed is that the blessings of God never left my life. I just stopped being able to see them. Really bizarre. It's kind of like those, remember those 3D things where you like you stare at it? If you stare at a fixed point, suddenly things come out of it that you can't see if you just glance at it. It's what I felt like happened in my life. All of a sudden, I found that God had never left me. There were the blessings all along. I just started focusing on what was right in front of me and arranging that differently. And so that's my prayer for us that this month would be different and that we can focus on the joy of the Lord, the joy of the love that he's already shown to us through this baby Jesus that came to earth that we're celebrating on the 25th who came to die so that we might have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him. So as, as you're headed out of here, um, let's process that, process that this month. Over here, there's a couple people that would love to pray with you if you need prayer for anything. This invite, um, this is not just a piece of paper. This really has supernatural implications that can be eternal because God can take this and change somebody's eternity because of an invite that you give. So please take this seriously and hand them away. Um, you can get as many as you want at the back door to give to everybody in your office if you want. And then, and then lastly, if you want to be a part of blessing some children in this area from Dillard Elementary School, be a part of our toy drive and bring some toys to our drop-off areas. There's information in the back of what's needed and where you can drop it off for the next week before we deliver them to them. You guys take care. Have a joy-filled week, and we will see you back here for week two. Take care.